Good morning. It's good to see each of you here. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Today I'll be reading scripture from 1 John 5, verses 6 through 12. So you can turn to that passage if you'd like. I also want to let you, before I do, want to let you know that uh, today we have a couple of missionaries that we support that are here with us, Adam and Misha Hutchinson and their son named Atlas. What a great name, right? And uh, they will be in the foyer after the service. We'd love to connect with as many of us as possible. They serve in the Philippines, uh, sharing Christ in their community and um, building up new believers and starting ministries in that place. And so they're on the north side of the, uh, of the foyer. You'll find them standing there after the, after the service. Okay, please listen as I read from 1 John 5, verses 6 through 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. This is God's word. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I told you, I uh, mentioned that I was going to Mississippi to visit my mom. She's 90 years old. And so I flew into New Orleans and uh, my brother Mikey picked me up and we dipped down into the city, went to this little place called Mandina's and uh, I got the turtle soup I've been wanting to have for years and years. I can't tell you how amazing it was. It was like we should, I felt like we needed a moment of silence after every bite. It's just amazing. So we had turtle soup. Then we went 100 miles up north to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where I grew up. And I mostly just, would, I just abided with my mom. I just stayed with her. We talked for four or five hours a day. Uh, I learned some things about my mom I never knew before. It was kind of amazing. So we talked and ate. And uh, mom had a few little projects she wanted me to do around the house. I did a couple of them. But some of them were too big for me. They took too much time. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the skills. And so uh, I called my brother, Mike. Hey, do you know know a contractor? Somebody who can come over and give us an estimate. He didn't. So he called a friend. And the friend recommended Carlos. So Carlos came over and and, uh, I showed Carlos, we need the deck removed. We need the threshold rebuilt on the door. We need the ceiling repaired. And... He seemed very competent, all-around great guy. The next day, he got us a, uh, a bid, uh, an estimate, and we're going with Carlos. He's going to do the work for my mom, and that's the way it commonly works, right? When you, you need somebody to do something for you, you get recommendations. You get testimonies of people that you trust. Who would you recommend? It's always the, it's the case when it comes to products and businesses and services, the people you respect. I remember a time a couple of years ago, I needed something done on my house. And so I asked somebody, hey, who would you recommend for this? And he said, you should have this guy do the work. And I said, 
Should I get another estimate or two? Well, you can, but you should have this guy do the work. And so that's what I went with, and it worked out great. And so the more confidence you have in the testimony, the more confident you will be in the decision. When John wrote the letter we now call 1 John, there were conflicting testimonies about Jesus. Um, the testimony John had originally brought, it was the same testimony that all of the apostles uh, brought about Jesus, namely that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the flesh and he died as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so John's testimony is that Jesus was fully God and fully human. He was fully God, therefore he could be a sinless sacrifice. He was fully human, therefore he could be a sinless sacrifice for humans. And so that was the testimony that, that John had brought. And throughout 1 John, he repeatedly reminds them, this is what you've heard from the beginning. So if somebody else comes along and says, hey, I've got a new spin on this. I've got a new idea about Jesus. Don't, don't listen to it. Believe what you heard from the beginning. He assures them, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you will have eternal life. But there were others who had left the church, and they were bringing a different testimony and a different gospel. And they denied that Jesus was the Son of God who died as the atoning sacrifice for their sins. It's hard to know exactly what they believed, but they denied the gospel as John had preached it. And, uh, and so uh, they were trying to persuade John's readers to their view about Jesus. In today's passage, John does an interesting thing. Earlier in the book, he had said, this is my testimony about Jesus that I've brought to you. In this passage, he says, don't believe the gospel merely because I'm the one who's testified. He says, God is the one who has testified about Jesus. Therefore, this testimony, this gospel, it, 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 uh, it, it, it has the highest standard of credibility. Therefore, it warrants our attention. It warrants our trust. And of course, we're in the same situation that John, John's readers were in the first century. We also, in our day, have competing testimonies and competing gospels when it comes to Jesus Christ. And commonly you hear people say, you know, I, I think Jesus was an amazing person. He was an amazing man. He taught some great things. He did a lot of, of, of great things. But the sinless Son of God, come on. Don't stake your eternal destiny on that. You have many people saying that, yeah, you can learn from Jesus, but don't say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're in the same situation. We have, we have competing testimonies, competing gospels. And I know you know this, but just because you believe something, that doesn't mean it's true. And just because you don't believe something doesn't mean that it's untrue. I hear this quite commonly when I talk to people. They say, well, I don't believe that. And so case, case closed. It's over. I don't believe it, so I don't have to worry about it. That's actually not the case. We're talking about issues of life and death. Therefore, when it comes to what you believe about eternal life, we need to make sure that what we believe and what we don't believe is based on the most credible testimony available. There's just too much at stake to do otherwise. So in this passage, we're going to listen to God's testimony about Jesus. That's in verses 6 through 9, and then verses 10 through 12, John talks about our response to God's testimony. First of all, God's testimony, 1 John 5, 6 through 9. Referring to Jesus, John writes this, 
This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And so the water and the blood, that refers to Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River, John baptized. The baptism and the blood refers to his crucifixion. One was at the very beginning of his public ministry. One was at the very end. And the Spirit, John points out, the Spirit is the one who testifies. He gives witness to the validity and the significance of Jesus' baptism and his crucifixion. And so I want us to consider each of those separately, each of those individually, uh, what they signify, the water and the blood, and then how the Spirit has given testimony, has testified about them. First of all, the, the water. And so this is the baptism of Jesus. Before Jesus' public ministry, John was, uh, John appeared in the wilderness, and uh, he was, this is John the Baptist, not John the author of this letter, but he had been baptizing people in the Jordan River, which is a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And when asked, John was very clear, he said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am preparing for the Messiah. And he was preparing for the Messiah by preaching this repentance and baptism. It says, repent and be baptized. So turn from your sin and turn to God and then be baptized as a public demonstration of your repentance. Well, when Jesus showed up to be baptized, you can understand John was confused and he was very reluctant to baptize Jesus. He said, I shouldn't be baptizing you. If anything, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus insisted, he said, for the sake of righteousness, it has to happen this way. Jesus, in essence, said, I have to identify with sinful humanity. I need to undergo this baptism of repentance. And so Jesus was sinless, so he didn't need to repent. He did not need to be baptized. But to identify with sinful humanity, he said, it has to happen. And so Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Listen to the way Luke records Jesus' baptism. This is in Luke 3. And notice how prominent the Spirit is as a testimony. Luke 3:21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so by descending from heaven and remaining on Jesus, the Holy Spirit testified. The Holy Spirit was saying that, that God will empower Jesus. God will, will lead Jesus throughout his whole time on earth. And then the voice of God also testified, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And that's a reference to Isaiah 42, 1. And so from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus had this public endorsement of the Spirit and the Father. So this could have happened in private. God could have appeared, the, the dove could have, the Holy Spirit could have descended privately. God could have whispered to Jesus. But for the sake of all who were present, for the sake of all who would hear the gospel, including us, the Spirit and the Father gave public testimony to the validity of Jesus, his life, and his work. So Jesus came by the water, the Spirit testified. Jesus also came by blood at his crucifixion. We've seen throughout 1 John that Jesus came in the flesh to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus made it very clear to his disciples. He said, nobody's going to take my life away from me. 
No, I'm not. A, he said, I'm not a victim. I'm not passive here. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem to lay down my life as a sacrifice for many. And so the Spirit testified about the significance of the crucifixion in many different ways. And probably the most prominent, of course, is by raising Jesus from the dead. You read in, in Romans 1, 4, that uh, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power when the Spirit raised him from the dead. And so when you're raised from the dead, raised bodily from the dead, that validates everything you've said and done. And so the Spirit, the Father, put the stamp of approval. It was their amen to everything Jesus said and did. As well, the Spirit inspired the writings or the scriptures that we now call the New Testament, which explain the significance of Jesus' death. And so uh, Jesus came by the water and the blood and the Spirit gave witness. And so John says in verse 6 that the Spirit is the one who testifies and the Spirit is truth. Therefore, we will never be misled by the Spirit. We can trust him implicitly. In verse 7, John adds nuance to what he's written. He said, there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. These three agree. And that's probably a reference to a couple of passages in Deuteronomy where uh, the law stipulated that if somebody is, is accused of a crime, you can't convict them on one witness only. If it's a matter of life and death, you need, you need the testimony of two or three witnesses. You need multiple credible witnesses. Since John is talking about the most consequential issue in our lives, it only makes sense that he would say, here we are. I've got three witnesses. We have three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. So again, this is the highest standard of credibility. This is not something you take on the, on the, uh, the uh, word of one, one person, one witness. Furthermore, John says, all three of them agree. And then in verse 9, John makes a, a, a point from common everyday experience. He says, if we receive the testimony of men, and we do. We, we just commonly accept other people's recommendation. You say it, okay, I believe it. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his son. And so if we receive other people because we think they're credible, how much more should we accept the testimony of God? His credibility is greater. Through the spirit, the water, and the blood, God is testifying that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the flesh and died as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's my question for you. Are you putting yourself in a position to receive the testimony of God about Jesus? I mean, week in and week out. Are you putting yourself in a position to be convinced for the first time, and to be reconvinced over and over and over about the testimony that God has about Jesus? Or are you positioned only to receive the testimony of other people? I mean, think about it. Are you, are you mainly taking the word of other people, or are you also receiving the testimony of God? Now, the two don't have to be in conflict but you don't know that unless you're receiving the testimony that comes directly from God. And of course, living 2,000 years after this, these events, this testimony of God comes through the scriptures. The scriptures are the spirit-inspired writings 
that explain the significance of the teachings of Jesus, the events in Jesus' life, including his baptism, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Are you putting yourself in a position to be convinced by the testimony of God himself? Now you say, well, we have some limitations here, right? I don't know if you ever thought this, but, but we're at such a disadvantage, right? I don't know if you ever thought, but yeah, I know if I were there, if I were at the baptism and I saw the heavens opened up and I saw the spirit descending, if I heard the voice of God from heaven, or if I were at the crucifixion and I saw the sky turn black midday and I heard the, and I felt the earthquake, or if I were actually in the upper room and I saw the risen Christ, I saw the wounds in his hands and in his side, it would be so much easier to believe. You ever thought that? I have to take it on, I just have to read a book and get it now, right? Well, I I would say a couple of things. Number one, if you read in scripture, people who experienced amazing miracles were not necessarily the people who had the most faith. Think about the children of Israel in the wilderness. They walked through the, 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 uh, uh, the Red Sea on dry land. And then for 40 years, they grumbled and complained. I mean, they, they were not people of faith. Many, many people saw Jesus' miracles and did not believe. Jesus anticipated and understood all of this. Jesus was a very smart person, okay? He had a plan. Remember what he told Thomas in the upper room? He said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen my wounds, but blessed are those who will believe without seeing. And so Jesus had a plan, and the plan was to, he said, I will go back to the Father, and I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit himself, he will remind you of everything that I've taught you. He will give you accurate recall, and then the Holy Spirit will teach you the significance. He told him over and over, you're not going to accept, you're not going to understand everything I say until after I'm raised from the dead, which they didn't understand that either. Uh, which is understandable, but uh, uh, the, then the Holy Spirit would teach them, and then they, and a few, few others that were close to them, they would write the documents that we now consider our New Testament. And so we receive the testimony of God as we abide in the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. And so my question is, are you abiding in God's Word week in and week out? Are you listening to God? Do you care what God says? Are you letting him deepen your faith and and, uh, your trust in him? Well, since God's testimony about Jesus meets the highest possible standards of credibility, we should listen. We should be all ears. We should see, receive that testimony. And so in verses 12 through 14, John talks about our response to God's testimony about Jesus. And he actually talks about two two different responses in these three verses. Look at verse 10. He says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And throughout 1 John, we've talked about this. Believing in the Son of God, that's not some cold, sterile affirmation that I believe these 12, prep, uh, these, these 12 um, statements about Jesus. I'm good. It's not that, it's this, it's this wholehearted trust. I believe that I'm sinful. I believe I'm so sinful that I don't have a chance unless somebody else dies for my sin. And I believe that Jesus, the sinless son of God, actually did that. 
And so when John and the other New Testament authors, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, something so miraculous happens that you, you actually are different. You become a new creation in Christ. You have new appetites. You have new desires. You have a new ability to know and walk with God. And so uh, the testimony of Jesus about Jesus is no longer something out there, outside of them. The testimony of Jesus is something that is in, in here within them. God, through the Holy Spirit, makes his very home in your heart when you believe. And so, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. You have this internal witness, this internal testimony about the truth of the gospel. And then the second sentence in this verse, John makes a very bold statement, very bold statement. There are only two options in the Bible, faith and unbelief makes a very bold statement about those who reject the gospel. He says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. In other words, you're accusing God of being a liar. You say, God, you say this about Jesus, but I don't think you're telling the truth. He says, because you have not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And so for John and the other apostles, the gospel isn't one of many valid options about the person and work of Jesus. For them, it was the truth. And so to reject the testimony of God was to call God a liar and reject eternal life. God had not been vague. God was not unclear. Verse 11, he restates the testimony of God. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. In English, for the sake of word flow, that second phrase there says, God gave us eternal life. But in the Greek, eternal life is first as a place of emphasis. It's if he's saying eternal life, that's what God gave us. And so it's the same kind of life that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had from eternal eternity past. That's the life that he gave us. And so we don't take eternal life. We don't deserve eternal life. God gives eternal life everybody who wants it. That's what God gives us, that type of life. Therefore, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The two go together. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. The two always go together. Therefore, receive the testimony that God has given concerning his Son and experience life, experience life. Let me give you a couple of, a couple points of application based on what we've talked about. Again, the longer I go as a pastor here at Faith, this becomes perhaps the burden on my heart. Are we actually experiencing the truth of the gospel? Or are we just playing church? Do we come to worship the one true living God? Or is this a weekend hobby? Some people go out to the lake, we go to church. Is, is, is it anything more than that? Are we experiencing the reality of it? So my first plea with you is receive God's testimony about Jesus in the scriptures. Receive God's testimony about Jesus in the scriptures. Abide in God's work week in and week out. 
And it'll look different for different one of, ones of us, depending on your stage of life, depending on your circumstances. But find a way to saturate your mind with the truth of God's word. Again, not only because you're supposed to, and you are supposed to. Did you know that? You can't read the Bible without concluding that. Psalm 1, delight in the law of the Lord, meditate day and night. John 15, abide in me, let my words abide in you. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. We're supposed to do this. But don't do it only for that reason. Do it also because your faith depends on receiving the testimony of God. Your faith will shrivel and die up and it will be a memory unless it's fueled by the word of God. And so this week, when you go to scripture, go hungry, go teachable, go desperate, and see what God does. See if he opens your, your mind. See if he unfolds truths that you've never seen before. Honestly, when I go to scripture like that, I am never disappointed. I find that God shows me things and he reaffirms things that are just precious. There is no substitute from hearing the testimony of God straight from him through scripture. That's the first thing. And the second thing is basically testify to others. If you receive the testimony, testify to others. Build the faith of others. Talk to them about what you're experiencing with God. Talk to them about what you're experiencing through the scriptures. This is one of the main ways that we love one another in the body of Christ. We speak the truth to one another in love. The book of Hebrews emphasizes this in a number of different places. I'll just mention one. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13, we read this. The author says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. You see how we're supposed to pay attention to each other? You need people in your life that are close enough to you that can actually see if you have an evil, unbelieving heart, if you are falling away from the living God. There may be somebody in your life right now that is on the verge of giving up the faith. They're on the verge of saying, you know what? This works for other people. It doesn't work for me or it doesn't work for me anymore. And so we have a responsibility to pay attention to one another's lives. That's what, that, again, this is part of God's design for the body of Christ. And generally speaking, it doesn't happen all of a sudden. It's not the case that one day somebody's walking with God and their faith is vibrant, and the next day, poof, it's gone. No, it tends to happen, Hebrews 2 says, we drift, we drift, we, we get away from it. And so we pay attention to one another's lives. And then in verse 13, the author says, but exhort one another every day. Plead with them. You're not nagging them. These are people you trust. These are people you, you know you love one another. Exhort them as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so, again, it's not nagging. It's not angry. It's compassionate. This is what I'm experiencing from Jesus I urge you, you can experience this too. And so on this foundation, just one final thought. If we're, we're receiving God's testimony about Jesus, we're testifying to each other about it, now we're in a place to testify to people outside the church. If we're not doing this, we really won't talk about our faith. If you're not convinced, 
you're not going to be convincing. If you're not receiving the testimony, you're not going to give the testimony. But if you are, and we're in community, and we're, we're, we're testifying to one, what's one of the most natural things in the world is to tell other people what we're experiencing about Jesus. Again, not because we're, just because we're supposed to, and we are supposed to, but because we want our friends to experience life. We want them to experience the same life that we're experiencing. We're on mission for God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us hearts to receive everything you ask for us. We confess that so many times we're, we're satisfied with so little. And so many times we, we fill our minds with trivial, small, petty things. God, you offer us the riches of your word. We pray, God, that this week we would seek you through the word, that we would be hungry and teachable, and we'd be desperate for you. We pray we would seek and find. We pray you would open doors, you would give us things that we need through the word. God, may we encourage one another, may we build each other up, testify to one another, and God, may we be witnesses, as Jesus said, and the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to witness and tell others what we've experienced. And so, God, we're asking you to accomplish this in our day, in our lives, in this church, in the body of Christ here in Manhattan. In Jesus' name, amen.